Do we ready to go here? Yeah, ready to start? Um, the uh, we're gonna we're gonna go beep beep and back up just a little bit uh, this week and and talk about a few things that that while we just got we were talking about the Reformation and there were several things that came along at the same time, um, including what today is known as the Catholic. His, his microphone. Put your microphone on. The uh, uh, the, the Catholic Reformation. Um, how many of you have ever heard of uh, Creighton University over in Omaha, or Loyola University in Chicago and Los Angeles and all over the place? Um, does anybody know who Ignatius Loyola was? He was not a really rich guy who donated the land, which how Baptists tend to name their universities. Um, Loyola, Ignatius Loyola, was a, um, had been a knight. He'd been a, um, you know, a, a nobleman who became a priest. And depending on who you read, um, either saw what was going on with the Protestant Reformation or... Um, was concerned about uh, another really big concern at this time was the Muslims coming up through Spain, the Moors, um, and that was that was a huge part of Catholic history. Um, that they didn't have to go all the way to the Holy Land to fight the Muslims. The the Muslims had come up through Africa, and uh, the whole story of El Cid and everything was is dealing with that. At any rate, he founded a new Catholic order. Uh, the Catholics have a number of different orders, the, the Benedictines, the, the Dominicans, and he founded one, the, the Foot Soldiers of Christ, uh, that eventually became known, although during Loyola's time, they were, they were not known as the Jesuits. And I mentioned Creighton University and Loyola University, Boston College. These are all... Jesuit colleges that uh, are still around today. The Jesuits um, kind of started out as a military order. A lot of the early Jesuits were knights, were people who had fought in the Crusades, men who had cr fought in the Crusades. Uh, but and, and I guess I, I don't know if I said this already. It, he started in 1540. So it's... Um, this eventually comes along to go head-to-head -head at the same times as the Protestant Reformation. Luther, Luther 1517, so... Yeah, it's, it's right on the, on the coattails of this. And they become a, an order that had military application. A lot of the Catholic orders that today we think of as being these... Nice little monks, you know, running around in their in their long robes and and uh, and tending to the vineyards um, were military orders. They they were soldiers, <coughs> and um, but but they also were a group that at the same time as this stuff was going on, we were seeing some of the advancements in science. Uh, people like uh, Copernicus and. Um, I don't have the year on that on the top of my head, but but who were, were making great scientific advances and discovering things that were against the the norm of the of the day. Um, the world, I mean, Columbus figuring out that 
there were a lot of scientists who realized that the Earth was round, but, but the general population wasn't aware of that. And Columbus discovering the new world, all kinds of, of new things going on there. Uh, I believe it was Copernicus, wasn't it, who, who put that the sun was in the middle and the, and the uh, planets were uh, going around it, which was new. I mean, this is a brand new idea that, that we weren't the center of everything. And so the Jesuits come along as this edu- also become along as this education scientific group, which is why so many of the universities um, of the world that we think of as Catholic universities are Jesuit universities, founded and run by the by the Jesuits. Um, today, I'm going to I'm going to thrust this all on you in just one second. But today, there are still about 20,000 Jesuits worldwide. Um, about 15% here in the United States, the largest group in Latin America. Uh, their biggest thing is education, running the colleges and high schools. Um, and they, uh, but like so many of the, the biggest problem that the Catholic hierarchy has today, uh, I'm not saying from a theological point of view, but, but in a practical point of view, is that their clergy is really getting old, and nobody is is replacing them, or very few are replacing them. They just don't have people going into the into their orders, and the average age for the Jesuits today is uh, is 60, uh, and so um, they're 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 having trouble uh, replacing their ranks. And in fact, the Baptists are one of the very few groups that are not struggling nearly as bad with replacing their ranks. They also were, they also were and, and probably still are, the Catholics' biggest um, missionary group as far as going into places. Um, they, it was the Jesuits that, that came along with Columbus. It was the Jesuits. No, it didn't come with Columbus. But it came with uh, the explorers. That came later on, and the, and the conquerors, um, you know, like uh, Cortez and, and people like that. Uh, obviously, not Columbus. Columbus was pre-Jesuit, but um, so that's what that's that's kind of the background on the Jesuits. And this it's something for that we have a hard time understanding. You mentioned the military arm of the Jesuits, but. We've grown up with liberty, and we, we haven't understood that there has been, throughout history, it's been war tied with religion. And they would go in and conquer the people and then say, you are now going to be Catholic or Lutheran or Presbyterian or, or whatever. The concept of the Muslim jihad is not... It's you, not unique to the Muslims no, no. at all. And, and so what's going on today, too, we think Muslim jihad is some new thing. It's an age-old thing. In fact, um, it's, this is kind of getting off on a rabbit trail a little bit, but the reason we as the United States have a navy is because of pirates that were ruling the seas when Thomas Jefferson became president, and they were holding 
people captive. I mean, they, we hear about the pirates in Somalia, and they were Muslim pirates, and they would, they would, they ruled the seas. And Thomas Jefferson said, I'm tired of being held hostage by these. And uh, wasn't there a senator from Minnesota or somewhere that was sworn in, and he used Thomas Jefferson's Koran to be sworn in? Do any of you remember that? The reason Thomas Jefferson had a Koran is he said, I'm going to read my enemy's book and find out what they believe. He read that and he said, it's no wonder they're doing what they're doing. And he said, we have to stop them. And he started the United States Navy or advanced it to the point that they took back the seas. So all of this warfare stuff is nothing new. And the Jesuits really were <clears throat> probably even before they were in the education realm. Yeah. It, was a, it was a military arm of the Catholic Church. And uh, they planned the murder of King James during what was called the, the gunpowder plot. And uh, they forced the conversion of many, many people. In fact, they got so out of control that the Pope himself outlawed them. And they were reinstated then in the early 1800s. But they have a, a very strong military history. And again... This was born out of Martin Luther's Reformation. They saw the dangers of it, and uh, the Counter-Reformation was begun. And uh, there really, it really was warfare. We often think, you know, these people have these beliefs, and we have this, and we argue about it. The spiritual warfare. Right. But there was physical warfare. And they didn't separate the two. Right. And... Um, and finally, in the mid-1600s, um, well, go ahead. It's one of the things that scares me to death is that we are constantly trying to separate the two. And our enemy makes no bones about it not being separate. About it, I mean, about it being separate. They, the, the, the terrorists, their, their basis of terrorism is the Koran. And you know we all oh, you know there's a separation. Islam is a is a religion of peace. Um, okay, no, not so much. <laughs> and and that's why Thomas Jefferson read it and said they can say whatever they want, but if they believe their book, it, they're committed to war. And um, so. You had, with the Reformation, with the Muslims, with the Counter-Reformation, really, you had, just talking in Christian circles, you had Catholic, Lutheran, and Presbyterian that were battling literally for countries. And in 1648... Uh, they got together, the leaders, and uh, they signed the Peace of Westphalia, which brought peace, meaning the Catholics, the Presbyterians, and the Lutherans were not going to do battle against each other. And so in the mid-1600s, now again, back up, um, this was 1648, in 1611... 
is when King James before that said we need to get the scriptures into the the language of the people and the King James Bible was translated and uh, I read a quote that said uh, one of the Catholic fathers said we need to stop this printing it is going to be the the ruin of of our society why because truth is getting out okay but in 1648 they signed this peace pact and so the the Lutherans weren't going to do battle with the Catholic and the Catholic with the Presbyterian and all the way around. But they all agreed that any other Christians, especially the rebaptizers, were to continue to receive um, the same treatment, harsh treatment, persecution, persistent. So originally... The Catholic Church. Then it broke off the Lutheran, then more the Presbyterian. Now, again, it was the same position that they were at before. And, and I was interested. I, I came across an appeal made by an Englishman in 1614. And um, he said in his appeal, I'll just read parts of it, but he said, Suffer not your bishops to destroy those men and women that strive to serve God according to His Word. Be not your bishops executioners in burning, banishing, hanging, and imprisoning of harmless and peaceable Christians, but let them enjoy the freedom of the gospel and the liberty of conscience, so that the apostolic church, which is scattered and driven into the wilderness and desert of this world, may be again gathered together." both Jews and Gentiles, into visible and established congregation, and that the Catholic and universal church of Antichrist may be consumed and abolished by his spirit, as the holy apostle hath foretold. This was an appeal that he made in 1614. I mean, he said we're being banished and hung and, and we've gone over all this, burned and so on. But it's, it's incredible to me that um, the truth kept going on. And um, they, didn't, they didn't alter, although everything was against them. And uh, in, in realizing that, um, we've mentioned before, there, there ended up basically being five state churches. And uh, the Anglican, the Roman and Greek Catholic... Lutheran and the Presbyterian. Those were the five recognized churches in various countries. And, and one thing they were in agreement to was we need to persecute these that um, are independent of us, that are existing apart from us, that do not believe in the marriage of state and, and uh, church, do do not believe in infant baptism and, and the basic um, foundational principles that we've said have identified Bible believers through the ages. Now, that kind of brings us back to where we left off last week with John Bunyan. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me in learning more about John Bunyan, uh, as Mark mentioned um, Last week, Pilgrim's Progress was um, was his 
I guess you'd say his masterpiece, the work that that he is known for throughout uh, throughout um, history. It's incredible work. But again, as mentioned earlier, born out of tragedy, John John Bunyan. Um, I won't take the time, but he really struggled in coming to know Christ as Savior. He um, his he mentioned his first permanent conviction of sin was produced, and I'll just share this by a sermon denouncing the violation of the Lord's Day by labor, sports, and otherwise. This came home to Bunyan with peculiar force. For his greatest enjoyment came from sports on the Lord's Day. He really got convicted about, the, about this. And um, one day he was walking by down the street and heard three or four women seated in the street talking about, about sin, about um, salvation. And uh, he kept coming back to them with questions. And uh, he really struggled with, his soul being liberated from the burden of sin that he bore. And uh, one day as he was um, walking out toward a pasture, um, the statement that he'd read in Scriptures, Thy righteousness is in heaven. And that one statement just really hit him that it's not my righteousness it's I can't make my righteousness, and and through that, um, he said I came to know Christ as my Savior, and the chains of my sin fell off. And he was immersed by John Gifford at Bristol, and he started then preaching the gospel. Five years later, he was imprisoned for teaching men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, what does that mean? Well, that can mean just about anything. But he wasn't an authorized Anglican preacher. And the law said only priests of the Anglican church can preach. Bunyan would preach at a 7 a.m. meeting and have thousands of people come to hear him. I mean, before they'd go to work, this breakfast meeting. And so he was imprisoned. It was originally sentenced to a six-month sentence. That turned into a six-year sentence. Um, He was released, and immediately when he got out, he started preaching again. And they put him back in prison again for another six years. And it was during this time, as Mark mentioned last week, that he wrote, Pilgrim's Progress, which if you haven't read it, you really need to get. We have the cliff notes available here. We have children's versions, or you can read the full-fledged Old English if you really are brave, all right? But um, it was through that time, and he said the agony that he went through, he said, of being separated from my wife and and my family. He had a a daughter that was blind. He said, the agony that I went through was like pulling the flesh from my bones, knowing what they were going through, knowing what I was going through. 
And yet in the midst of that, the grace of God that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and um, that Pilgrim's Progress has been translated into hundreds of languages. And he, rather than sit and feel sorry for himself, would take the milk stoppers, the, the plastic, not the plastic, but the paper cover in this dark prison. And he used that to write on this pilgrim's progress. He wasn't sitting at his laptop with spell checker. I mean, this was a, a tedious, and it's not a, a short work. And yet God took him from what seemed like a wonderful ministry um, to prison. And because he didn't preach according to the law. Interesting. He was released from prison, allowed to preach. He was caught in a horrible rainstorm while he was traveling and got sick and died of pneumonia as a result of that, after all that he'd been through. The ways of God are beyond us. But the reality of what we're looking at, do you see how easy it would be in our country to say he is not preaching according to the law? So, what does that mean? Where do you draw the line? And John Bunyan, who is one of our well-known Baptist forefathers, was willing to 12 years, over 12 years, he was in prison. I mean, this morning I just was thinking about that. Asa's 12 years old. For 12, it's easy to just hear 12. 12 years sitting in prison. But he was used of God. So, I don't know if there's any more you want to add on Bunyan. Or... Well, the, and the whole English, this, during this time uh, in England, and I don't want to jump on this too hard, but we tend to go from Republican for eight years, Democrat for eight years, Republican for four years, Democrat for four years, going back and forth. And it's not that big of a swing, but the... Um, so much of it was based on who was the king. And they changed they change governments back and forth, back and forth. And you'd get one that was more tolerant of, uh, of what they called dissenters. And then one that was totally not. Um, king Charles II uh, was the king at the point when, when Bunyan was thrown into jail when he wrote that. And... And it was when Charles II was deposed and had to flee to France that then they were released. And they really, it was so fickle where, you know, for four or five years everything would be fine and then four, five, ten, twelve years things would be just awful uh, to the Baptists and to the Quakers. Quakers as well were really uh, uh, persecuted during this time. When we had the inauguration, you brought up, you know, we don't realize as much as may not have liked it, that our nation, to have a peaceful change of government, 
And some may be saying, well, maybe we shouldn't. But we take all of that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And there were major swings. And the swings were, you know, we, we think about the swings. And, and, and for us, yeah, you know, like what's happening today feels like it's like this. But it's like this compared to most of the swings in history where they'd go from here to here and back and, and the, this, those swings. And, the, and these kings, many of them were nuts. I mean, they were they, many of them insane. Uh, King George III, who we fought the revolution against, literally thought he could see Germany through his telescope uh, from the top of his uh, castle. King, King Charles, um, remember, was the first to the second, but um, really liked, really, really, really liked steak. And so one, one day he, he said, you know, bring out a piece of the steak. And he took out a sword and knighted the steak. And that's why it's called sirloin. <laughs> that's not a joke. That's true. That's why it's sirloin. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that's how nuts they were. And, and, and they would get it in their heads. And they would... And not unlike our own leaders, they would get surrounded by advisors who had this burr under their saddle or that burr under their saddle, and and that would that that would play a huge role in, and it still does today plays a huge role of what direction our country or their country or whosoever country grows. It's and. One of the things, regardless of how far the pendulum swung in whatever direction, was that Bible believers were always in the crosshairs. They always were despised because truth to man-centered anything is a thorn. And so they, they despised it. And, you know, in, in looking at this throughout all this, it's... Human government, really, the, the followers of Christ have been, I don't know the word, they continue regardless of the human government they're under. And, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to place a bigger emphasis on human government. I, I, I'm just kind of talking from my heart right now. You know what? I'm much more valuing my citizenship in heaven than I am my citizenship in this country. And it doesn't mean that I don't like this country, but I think I've been overboard in the past. In America, oh yeah, and I'm going to heaven someday. We are citizens of heaven. And we are pilgrims and aliens and foreigners and strangers. And in America, we haven't been that. Well, but it, we're becoming that. It's hard not to be that way. Right. When, we're, when, when you are a citizen legally of the strongest, most powerful nation, economy, and culture that the world's ever seen. And, and I mean, so I mean, don't don't beat yourself up, and don't you beat yourself up for that? Because it's it's hard not to be proud to be an American. Just like 
200 years ago, or even 100 years ago, it, wasn't, it was hard not to be proud to be British. And before that, it was hard not to be proud to be Roman. And, and, we and see, a part of this is, especially when you know what made America great, it was godliness. It was God's principles. So it's, it's like, yeah, there's a good reason for us to be this way. And what's making us not great is... We're ignoring those and, and going in. But it brings up, just in the last few minutes here, a, a thought. When is it right to have civil disobedience? I mean, we're, we're facing this issue right now with our county recorders are, are facing some major issues here. And I don't know if it's civil disobedience or what, but um, we may be facing in the future um, this aspect of civil disobedience. Marvin. Um, can, I, can I yeah throw into this? It, I, yes, I agree with you. But one of the things I think we as Americans, and let's go even a step further, as as believers in America, we have to guard the liberties uh, even of those that we don't agree with. Um, there was probably not a more nasty bunch of religious zealots as the Branch Davidians down in Waco. And we let our government go in and torch those people. Uh, just a couple of years ago, was it even that, a year ago, um, we went in with the, with the uh, FDLS, the, the polygamous Mormons down in, tends to be down in Texas a lot. The, uh, uh, we use the word we. It wasn't we, it was the government. We are, we are the government. We are, we <laughs> we, we, the, the, our, our, okay, our country, our country did that. And we, okay, we did not stamp our feet, yell and scream, and say anything about it. It's good to have the Branch Davidians, and it's good to have the fundamentalist, uh, polygamous Mormons and stuff, because then the fringe is over here. Now, when you eliminate these people, who's the fringe? We are the fringe. All right? It's good to have them. They're the ones that get bullied then. Okay? <laughs> as long as they're here, we look normal. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely, we need them. Well, That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but seriously, with, with the separation of church and state and liberty of conscience... It does open the door for different types of groups. But it also gives us the liberty to meet. Going back to this, you know, I, I'm leery sometimes of the word freedom. Freedom, you know, it depends. Freedom can mean anarchy. 
I like freedom. I like the word liberty. Liberty is the privilege to do what is right. Freedom, many people take it as the right to do what I want. Do anything. And, yep. and there's a major difference. And, you know, it's not like... Um, it's not like we're wanting in our nation that anybody can do whatever they want. We have freedom. I'm an American. I can. Uh, you carry that to You have anarchy. But liberty is the privilege to do what is right. And that, again, it comes back, you know, there has to be a lawgiver that defines what is right. And we are endowed by our Creator. I mean, we were founded in that with certain inalienable rights. And again, if you remove that, though, then, then it's up to whoever in power gets to define what is a marriage, what is right, what is wrong. And, um, and as Mark mentioned, if you don't tow, and this is where it comes in what Marv mentioned, if you don't tow the party line, we'll eliminate you. And then that comes down to civil disobedience. And how do you do that? Why do you do it? And when do you do it? And I think, you know, the dangerous part is the frog's in the kettle and it's just slowly getting hot. And so we haven't seen the need to jump out of it yet. And, um, well, it's certainly something that I think we should all think about and maybe come back to next week. Because okay. on the flip side of it, you know, we, we've got great examples in history, in, in Christian history, of civil dif- disobedience. But that was never what Christ preached about. I mean, Christ never said, you know, you need to stand up to the Romans. I mean, there are, you would have had a hard time finding a, a more oppressive government than the than the Roman government on on the on the nation of Israel, and yet you know he wasn't saying oh you need to. I mean he said pay your taxes, and yep, went fishing to pay them. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what the difference between death and taxes is. Congress doesn't meet every year to make death worse. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's bow together in prayer.